Hello, I'm Rena Grobe, and I'm Madhvi Romani, and this is Misinformed, where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So, Madhvi, what did you get obsessed with this week? So this week, floods have been on my mind since, obviously, here in Germany we've had massive flooding. Also in parts of Belgium and the Netherlands, over 160 people have died. Many are missing. At the same time, Henan Province in China has had a lot of floods. They've had basically the same amount of rain, 617 millimeters, about in three days, from Saturday to Tuesday, than they have in the whole year. Basically, the whole year's figure is 640 millimeters. So that's massive. At the same time, there are massive heat waves and wildfires. I think over eighty in North America, and then also some in Canada. There's a massive fire that's been raging in Siberia for over a month. We've had record temperatures also in the U.S. this year. Turkey also reached a record temperature of forty-nine point one Celsius. So obviously, climate change is here. And I'm not the only one who's been thinking about it. We actually had the suggestion from a listener, Craig, who suggested that we speak about it. And what struck me about all of this is that people still seem to express disbelief that this is happening. But scientists have warned us, as the temperature goes up, that exactly this is going to happen. So people have been in denial. A lot of people have been thinking, "Oh, it's not going to affect us. It's not going to happen." They didn't have the imagination to imagine it was going to happen. But for anyone who's been paying attention, this is exactly what's going to happen when we get nearer and nearer to the two Celsius mark, which is actually a super worst case scenario, and we're almost there. And basically, nothing has been done to cut our emissions. So there's still climate deniers. There are still, you know, in all the interviews, people saying we never thought this could happen. And then here in Germany, Armin Laschet, who is the next chancellor candidate for the CDU, was seen with a bunch of other CDU people while another politician, Steinmeier, was speaking. They were just laughing in the background while, you know, surrounded by floods, also not adhering to Corona regulations. And yeah, everyone is helping. In Germany, at least, we have a social structure, so these people are getting a lot of help, and they've got a really good program where they're putting millions into this area and making it as unbureaucratic as possible for people to get help, and that's really great. But nobody seems to be addressing the root cause of everything, which is human influence over the climate, and it's still being ignored. And I guess this is the reality of the world we live in. And so I've just been thinking about climate change and the fact that everyone thinks that this is exceptional in some way, or they think that we can somehow still reverse it, or our reality is going to be different, or somebody else is going to take care of it, or some massive solution is going to turn up. But it seems like a failure on the part of human imagination to conceive of this problem realistically. I think that some of the interviews that were done with a select few people who were victims of the floods, where they expressed the sentiment that, oh, I didn't think this would happen here, or this is the kind of thing you expect to happen in Asia, I think not only revealed something ugly about how privileged people are, but 
the statement itself implies that they were aware that the consequences of climate change are happening in some form or another, but they just didn't think that they would carry the consequences of climate change. And I think that's part of the problem of Europe and North America is that the reality of climate change is that it's going to affect us all, that no one is exempt. But we've lived in this world where we've just kind of watched other parts of the world burn and we've been like, hmm, that really sucks without really thinking. Like there's such an elitism to the fact that, yeah, we all thought we would be free of the consequences, right? Won't affect us. And a lot of these interviews with the flood victims has really made this clear. And yeah, as like, as you were saying, people, I think it's kind of a thing of like, no one's really doing anything about it because everyone thinks someone else is going to do something about it. Like... The fact that the Green Party has done so well, apparently, you know, leads people to think, oh, well, we're doing our part, right? We're voting for the Green Party. And that's the extent of which they think they have to go to it without thinking about, you know what, climate change is kind of irreversible at this point. And people always talked about, oh, during during coronavirus, when people weren't flying, the environment recovered so much. But how long did it take for us to undo any sort of small steps that we took while we all couldn't fly? Like, in a matter of weeks, any progress we'd made had been reversed. And you would think that having seen how well nature was doing when humans stopped their activity, we would be like, use this as incentive to do better. And instead, we did exactly the opposite, which, are humans just garbage? How do we move on from here if no one seems to care, really? Like, why do we all think that we're going to be free of consequence? It's a little mind-boggling. Yeah, I want to return to the Green Party in a sec, but this attitude of rich people that they're going to be untouched is ridiculous because we all live on the same planet and it's going to affect all of us. Nobody is immune from this, whether it's a woman squatting over a stove in India or it's Jeff Bezos, we all have to live on this planet. Obviously, According to, you know, UN Women and various other organizations, the poorest will suffer the most, and especially women. Verona Colantes, an intergovernmental specialist with UN Women, said that the International Panel on Climate Change found that gender inequalities are further exaggerated by climate-related hazards, and they result in higher workloads for women, occupational hazards indoors and outdoors, psychological and emotional stress, and higher mortality compared to men. That's because women rely on natural resources around them much more, so they have to like walk further to get water if there's a drought and all that kind of stuff. There's many different situations and factors at play. But Jeff Bezos just went to space for no apparent reason. And when he came back, this is an actual quote, he said, We need to take all heavy industry, all polluting industry, and move it into space. I mean... When does he think this is going to happen? How does he think this is going to happen? What kind of a solution is this? What are the rich going to do with their trips to space, which produce super, super carbon emissions and are bad for the environment and exactly polluting, like what he says? But, I mean, what do they think they're going to do? Are they going to go live in space? Is there anywhere habitable that we've found that human beings, are they going to go live by themselves? Or how are they going to take all heavy industry and put it into space? It's totally unrealistic. Maybe he needs to take that money and spend it on actually preserving the rainforest, which is now, we've fucked it so much, is emitting carbon instead of helping us get rid of it. 
Because you can't just chop down a load of trees and then plant new ones and expect that they're going to do the same job as all those old big trees did. And it's not just Jeff Bezos that is delusional. Our entire culture is, and you can see this in media coverage. So a counter-analysis of minutes of coverage on ABC's Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, NBC's Today Show, which are all American networks, and America is a massive carbon emitter. These networks spent 212 minutes on the Bezos coverage, which he just got to the kind of edge of maybe just about space, came down in like two minutes, and did nothing new, right? Because NASA put a man on the moon decades ago. Meanwhile, climate coverage in the whole of 2020, the entire year, 267 minutes. That is 212 minutes on some guy just randomly flying up for pointless versus 267 minutes to something that's going to affect all of our existence, the human race, but also all the millions of species on Earth. If you watch the David Attenborough documentary and you see all these wonderful species, they're all dying because of our actions. So we almost, as human beings, we just don't want to think about it because we have this optimism bias. We think, oh, there's going to be a solution, but there is no solution. And we think something is going to magically happen. And we like to concentrate on other things just to distract ourselves. But this is the biggest, most important issue that we're facing right now. There's an article in the New York Times by Ezra Klein, the founder of Vox, which is a media outlet that I love. And it's got a very great title. It's called, It Seems Odd to Me That We Would Just Let the World Burn. And in this article, he discusses a book he read. In particular, one of the things that struck me and didn't strike me about his article but the response to it, because then I did what you should probably never do is I went to Reddit and I was reading people's comments about it, is that he's talking about whether or not going to blow up pipelines is an effective measure in, you know, making people aware of climate change and fighting fossil fuel companies. So then there's a Fox News article where they brand this eco-terrorism, which is interesting. But one of the reasons why that in particular sort of struck me and why I was so curious to read people's comments is, is because I don't think, I'm not trying to advocate for the fact that we should, you know, go blow up pipelines, but it seems kind of strange to me that the Gulf of Mexico was on fire, but blowing up pipelines is seen as the bad violence. Do you know what I mean? There's this weird shifting of blame where anyone trying to do anything about fossil fuel consumption is bad, whereas the fossil fuel companies literally ruining the earth with violence way worse than blowing up pipelines, that's fine. And I also think that people still believe if we sit down and have a rational conversation about something, something will come of it. But it's too late for that. We've fucked our planet. We can't sit and talk anymore. But I think that also the people making these claims of we have to sit and talk about, it, we have to discuss it, we have to have policies. I mean, have you not been paying attention? Policies, yeah, of course we need policies, but who's gonna who's gonna enforce those policies? Who's gonna throw those policy out? I mean, you said we'll get to the Green Party in a second, but the German Green Party has just showed their hand with this flood crisis as being utterly useless and clearly not doing what they say they're going to do. But also, it is such a privilege to be able to say, oh, we'll sit down and talk about this. Nobody will listen to you when you sit down and talk. Because if people listened to you, if you just sat down and talked, then we wouldn't be in this situation. Again, not advocating for going and blowing up pipelines, but 
maybe the time for trying to have peaceful conversations has passed. And maybe those who are advocating for this need to realize what a position of privilege and how naive that kind of sounds right now. When it's like, we're way past that. The Ezra Klein article is really good. And he's talking about the fact that he just read a book by Andreas Malm, which is called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And in it, Malm just argues, look, nothing else has worked with the climate justice movement. So we should start blowing stuff up and resorting to violence in order to get what we want. A 2019 study in the journal Nature showed that 49% of the fossil fuel burning energy infrastructure now in operation was installed after 2004. And that's after decades and decades of climate activism. So why would you blow up a pipeline is because everything that climate activism is doing right now is kind of not working. And he argues that every single revolution that has happened in the US has contained violence. We tend to not focus on that, and we tend to, in our culture, elevate the non-violent aspects, but every single change has come about with violence. So there was no peaceful American revolution. There were riots and rifles in the civil rights movement. And what Malm is saying is, somehow, in the climate activism movement, there is none of this. And one of the questions this raises is really about realism and belief again. So Ted Nordhaus, the founder of the Breakthrough Institute, wrote an essay which actually questioned whether climate activists believed their own rhetoric. And he says that the absence of eco-violence is due to the fact that even the people who are fighting for it can't really understand it or believe in it themselves. So this is a quote from Ted Nordhaus. He says, It's been fashionable to call for a World War II-style mobilization to fight climate change. But virtually no one will actually call for any of the sorts of activities that the United States undertook during the war mobilization. Rationing food and fuels, seizing property, nationalizing factories or industries, or suspending democratic liberties. He goes on to say that the vagueness and modesty of the Green New Deal is not proof that progressives and environmentalists are closet socialists. It is rather evidence that most climate advocates, though no doubt alarmed, don't actually see climate change as the immediate existential threat they suggest it is. And I think that's a really interesting argument, because can we as human beings, like, we find it very hard to grasp anything. Like, only the people in Germany felt really sorry for the people in Germany who were suffering from the floods, whereas when people in Germany see floods in other lands, they still can't connect to it somehow. Or it's like, you know, when a plane goes down and the local media always reports how many, you know, German people or British people or Europeans or French people were on board out of the 170 people because apparently human beings can only understand something when it's in really close relation to themselves. And so is it a failure of comprehension on our part? And with this, you can really see like the Green Party's response to these floods has not been anything like you would expect the Green Party to react. They really haven't drawn an explicit link between 164 people 
dying because of floods and the fact that we are experiencing the consequences of climate change. They just haven't done it. So both the leaders of the Greens didn't really say anything about climate change. One Green delegate, Konstantin von Notz, posted a picture of all of the cars and the flood water on Twitter and criticised the party's reluctance to commit to carbon reduction measures and said that his party, only his party, the Greens, would make climate protection priority number one. And within 24 hours, he deleted this tweet and apologised for what he called a polemical tweet. It's so disappointing that now the Greens have got finally a chance to maybe come to power, and all this time they've been... They're called the Greens, and they're not doing or saying anything about the environment. It's insane. But I think this is part of the Green Party's problem, because when you're... I'm thinking about how to phrase this very, very, very carefully, because obviously a Green Party is needed. We need to have someone representing those interests in our government. But this is the first time that the Green Party actually have a chance of having actual power within our government. And I think it's very easy to stand on the sidelines and offer critique when there is very little chance of you actually having power. But now the problem is they have some power or they could potentially have the power and they don't really have experience within government, the way things work, the way you push through, you know, major policies. Baerbock, no matter how amazing of a woman she is, no matter how smart, no matter how intelligent, no matter how dedicated, she doesn't have any government experience. So, I mean, maybe part of the problem is, is that maybe we need to stop working within government frameworks to push through climate change and to save the planet. But I don't know, I just, I think they're failing at this point in time because they've never actually had to practice what they preach. And all of a sudden, they're being asked to practice what they preach and they're realizing it's a lot more difficult than they thought, which is in itself a critique of our sort of political system, not of the Green Party in itself, but it's kind of disappointing to see that their values kind of fold the second they're confronted with something difficult. I mean, I'm not saying I could do a better job, but I wouldn't go into politics. And it's it's also kind of disappointing because what we've seen now is that conspiracy theorists, so-called kveadenka, which means to think diagonally, have showed up in these flood areas and they're exploiting vulnerable people to push their agenda onto them. And it's just, it's pointing to the shortcoming of all of our politicians, be it, I mean, Laschet laughing in the background while our Bundespräsident gives a speech or the Green Party failing to live up to what they preach. It's exposing a vulnerability in our society, in our political system, and it's not great for climate change, is it? Yeah, I think the reaction of the Greens shows a fundamental human flaw, which is like they're scared of scaring industry, which in Germany is massive. It's like the car industry and weapons producers and all this kind of stuff. and. They want to get into power without being seen as a kind of radical power. They want to appeal to the masses, and a lot of the masses don't want to talk about climate change. So they're putting their short-term needs and wants before the actual massive problem facing us, and that's what many of us are doing. I think you're completely right. They've got a chance now to get in, and then they're like, okay, so our original actual 
beliefs and manifestos of what we were built on cannot operate in the system because what we would require is a radical overhaul of our entire economic, social, everything. It's like Ted Nordhaus says, you know, you would need to ration fuel, change everything about how things are running. How are we going to do that? And how are we going to do that without a radical movement? We have Extinction Rebellion, we have Fridays for Future. None of it has really made any difference. We have scientists begging, we have Attenborough making documentaries. We're still all ignoring it. Genuine question. What do you think about Extinction Rebellion? Because I don't know what to think about them. On the one hand, their whole spiel is that humanity is going to go extinct, right? And they do all these like big stunts to get our attention and all this dramatic stuff. But on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know, humanity's kind of screwed up the planet so much, maybe we deserve to go extinct. That's a very negative point of view. But as it, like, yeah, I don't quite know where to place them or what to do with them. Yeah, they've organized some amazing stunts and protests and, you know, to make this issue really visible, which is great. But again, I after reading this article and really thinking about it, I think we need something that goes a bit further. And I like the name because, yeah, we're going to go extinct. It's so true. And people are still, like, having children in the West, which one of these children in the West takes up so many resources. And they just think, their children are going to have great times. I mean, the moon is going to start wobbling in 2030. We're at the end of days. And it's not even, that's not even me being dramatic. It's scientists are actually terrified. And we can see it now. Like I said, you can see it all over the world now. People are dying and suffering. Cities are being flooded. Those videos in China of just people in the subway. I don't know if you saw that, but the water level is rising and rising and rising. And it's up to their waist. And they're all people in the cars. And they're just surrounded by water. and. It's terrifying, and that is reality. There's also something incredibly hypocritical, I think, about, yeah, we look at other countries as Western countries, look down at them on having too many children or, you know, using cars or factory methods that pollute the earth. And then we take this moral high ground of looking down upon them when, in reality, we did it first, we polluted the earth first, and... In fact, it's not even true. Like, as Western countries, we still produce more carbon emissions and we still are worse for the environment than they are. So it's kind of like shitty on two fronts. It's not only are we taking the moral high ground and looking on down on people, but then it's not even true. Like, our moral high ground isn't even in some way justified. So it's just, it's so shitty on two fronts. Yeah, I mean, overpopulation or what they say is overpopulation, the population that we have in itself is actually not the problem. The problem is our systems and how we consume things, how we make things, our entire globalized world, and how all our resources are distributed or not distributed at all. That's the problem. So we need a real system change. And on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one, be annoying and stick to your principles. Do not be like the Green Party and back down the second you feel like you might ruffle some feathers. This is a super urgent problem, and the time to make waves and be annoying is now. Be realistic. Many of us think that climate change is going to happen in the future, 
somebody else is going to solve it, technology will solve it. But the fact is that we are experiencing climate change now and no one else is really going to fix this. And you can see this from our politicians. Nobody has done anything to really address this serious issue in the way that it really should be addressed. So it's really up to us. And to end, for thing three, a quote from Andreas Malm. Here's what this movement of millions should do for a start. Announce and enforce the prohibition. Damage and destroy new CO2-admitting devices. Put them out of commission. Pick them apart. Demolish them. Burn them. Blow them up. Let the capitalists who keep on investing in the fire know that their properties will be trashed. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like... You can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube for news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud or support us on Patreon at patreon.com misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.